A small part of today's sermon was not recorded, but enough of it remains for us to put this recording onto the website. Today's reading was taken from Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Here ends the reading. Good man, but actually what he did had no impact in the rest of the world. So Paul is reminding them, what you have is the truth. What you have is a knowledge and an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done. Don't lose it. Don't let go of it. I know the challenges around you, but you have a precious gift. Keep it strong to you and don't lose sight of the truth. Don't be pulled away from it. And he says, look at what it's done. The truth that you have has already been having an impact. So if you're tempted to think maybe some of these others, there's some truth in what they're saying, just look at what your faith has meant. Look at what your understanding in Jesus has done in your life and look at the impact of it around the world. Now we use these around the world. It was, pro- it was just the known world at that time and it was about three quarters of the Roman Empire that were beginning to understand and hear the truth of Jesus. But that is the world to these people and Paul is exaggerating so that they see the massive impact of faith in Christ already going out into other parts of the world at that time. So growth in Christ was a discussion topic of the early church. Things don't change. The biggest discussion in the Church of England at the moment is about growth. Is about growth in what seems to be decline in this country. How can the church continue to grow? How can individuals continue to grow in discipleship in their own lives? And how does the Christian faith continue to grow in our land when the trend is showing something different? So Paul was interested in growth, and today is no different. So there are lessons that we can learn from this book. And he talks about where this growth has begun. Why is there growth? Why are they seeing the growth of faith around the world? What is it that's making the difference? And if you look at verse 6, it starts, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. It begins with them. It begins with their own lives and their understanding. 
So in some ways, before we think about the spread of the gospel around the world, we need to begin with ourselves. Have we grasped the truth and reality of Christ living in us? Because once we do, the growth is almost organic. We don't even need to think about it. And we'll see how that comes out through the letter as we go through. But it begins with us, that we need to have that understanding of God's grace in our lives. And that will impact us, and will therefore impact those around us. So where did it start for the people of Colossae? Epaphras is the great hero who has shared what he has known with others. We don't know much about him, but we can pick out one or two things if we were to look at Colossians chapter 4. He's described as one of you. So he is one of the Colossian people. That's um, chapter 4, verse 12. So he's one of them, and there's a power in that. He hasn't parachuted in with a message. It's come from bottom up. One of the people has understood the reality of God's grace and has shared it with others. How encouraging is that? That one of the people who has just known what it is has naturally shared that with those around him. He was probably the founder of the Colossian church. And he obviously does have the gift of evangelism. Because in um, chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is now describing him as in, um, working in Laodicea and Herapolis. So he has a particular gifting. We all have a calling to share our faith. But some of us have a more particular gifting of actually going out and being an evangelist. And Epaphras obviously does have that. And it seems that he's gone to Paul at Rome, or somehow communicated, either gone in person to Rome, (coughs) or communicated with Paul in Rome, and has told Paul about the problems that are facing the Colossian church. Hence this letter. Sadly, we never get the letters that go to Paul. We only get his replies. But we can gauge what the issues are by reading the reply. So Epaphras has highlighted this to Paul. And Paul has such love for these people that he wants to write to them to say, hang on, don't lose what you've got. You have something so precious. Look at what it's doing already. Don't let it be watered down. Growth begins with our own relationship with Christ. Our own understanding. Working in us and then sharing out amongst those around us. So in these few verses, we've got two key lessons for growth. Firstly, that before the gospel can grow, it must be heard and understood. Fairly obvious, isn't it? The gospel cannot grow unless it's heard and unless it's understood. And then secondly, if we go back to verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, And of the love you have for all the saints. It's the love of other people that is going to encourage a desire for the gospel to grow. Firstly, it needs to be heard and understood. And then for those who have heard and understood it, it is the love they have for others that will naturally mean that they want this precious gift to be shared with those around them. And growth happens quite simple when you look at it. We could have all the programs in the world about church growth, but it's about individuals knowing and loving Jesus and that being so much part of their lives that they long for others to know that too and they naturally share that. And sharing may not mean talking about it. 
They may have just been living as a grace-filled Christian in the world and the impact that that has and the longing that we have for others to know the precious gift that we have Paul goes on and he talks about three key virtues that we would expect to see in people who've heard and understood the truth of grace. This is in verse 5. He talks about faith and love and hope. And they're often all put together as key virtues of Christian um, belief. So faith is really key. And the starting point But it can't just be a head knowledge. We've talked about this before. You can sit in theology lectures in a university, which I have done, and it's to be a purely academic exercise. I spent a year, age 19, sitting in theology lectures that told me about God, but not about getting to know him. So faith has to be more than head knowledge. Faith in Christ is a faith that is directed towards him and a faith that is in him. So what we know about Christ in our heads is about the relationship we have with him. What I know about my husband works out in the relationship I have with him. I'm just not going to write you an essay about what my husband is and what he does, but who he is shapes my marriage, shapes my person of who I am. The relationship I have with him creates something new, spreads out into the rest of our family. I could write you an essay about my husband, but it's going to be meaningless. The impact of what I know about my husband is the way I live my life with him. The faith we have in Christ is about knowing who he is, but that to permeate so deeply into our hearts. We've just sung that, speak to this heart. Take all the truths and the understandings that we need to have in our heads and place them in our hearts so that what we have is a relationship with Christ. And that is what faith is about. Hope then flows from that because hope comes from a life that is motivated by living in Christ. Because we live with hope, because we live with Christ, because we have that understanding of what it means to live by grace. To live knowing that Christ is in us, that our life is wrapped up with his, that we have purpose, we have meaning, that we have salvation in Christ. And so our life becomes one of hope rather than one of despair. If you were at Cafe Church two weeks ago, we saw this amazing video clip of a Muslim student questioning a Christian um, teacher. And the Muslim, who is so highly taught in understanding what you need to do to get to heaven, about being rules and regulations. And even if you obey all the rules, it's the will of Allah that says whether you have eternal life. And the Christian teacher is saying, you can never earn your place in heaven because none of us will ever make the mark. But as Christians, we don't have to worry about it because Christ living in our place, taking our place for us, means that we are sure of a place with the Father in eternity. So understanding and knowing and living with Christ shapes our life so that we live with hope. And the outworking of knowing Christ, of having a life of hope, is then the way that we live our lives. And we live our lives in love. And the outworking of our faith comes through the love that we have for other people. So it's a circle 
because it doesn't all start and then it just flows because we've got to keep coming back and knowing more and more about who Christ is. And as we do that, we become more grace-filled and full of hope. And then that love should spur us to go out and to do more and then we might question again and come back. But faith, hope and love. If we are living as true disciples of Christ, that growth in our lives will be shaped by these things. So the challenge to the Colossians was to hold on to the truth of what they knew, of who Christ was for them, the total adequacy of Christ, and then to live their lives as grace-filled Christians. That's our challenge. We are no different to the Colossians. That is the challenge placed before us. And that's the challenge that the Archbishop was speaking about in Lusaka. And he was urging the church to preach a story of hope. And here are some of the other things he said. He said, we show that we come from Christ when we go out in humble and joy-filled service. So how we live our lives reflects our relationship with Christ. When we go out singing and dancing, he is in Africa, remember. When we rejoice in worship and are full of love. When we are not judgmental. We do not fall sorry, into the old church habit of throwing stones at the weak and flattering the proud and the strong. And then his final question, is our message so full of Christ-centered hope that it creates societies of hope? We can despair at the world around us and we can look around and think, what is happening to our country? What is happening to the, the world that our young people are growing up into, which is a more complex world than the world that I knew? What is happening to some of the values? And we can wring our hands and say how terrible our world has become. But actually the world that we live in should be affected by who we are. So we might want to turn that and say, how should we be living that our societies are transformed? We believe in a God of transformation in our own lives. We should be praying to the God of transformation for the world that we are living in. And our lives, the way we live as a church, should be offering hope to a world and a society that somehow and sometimes has lost sight of what hope is. So rather than wringing our hands, oh woe is me, the challenge should be put back to us and say, why is it that my life isn't having an impact? Why is it that as a church we're not making a difference? and creating societies of hope. The Archbishop of Canterbury gets away with saying these things, but I'm so pleased he does, because I can quote him. Because that's what it's about. That is what we are about. We should be living lives so full of Christ-centered hope that wherever we are, we are creating societies of hope. That is so exciting. So how on earth do we do that? We take it into the two parts. We grow as individuals and that growth then organically spreads out to the rest of the world. We need to live as lifelong disciples. People who long to learn more and more about who their Christ is in our heads and in our hearts. Shaping our lives. Knowing the truth of grace in our lives that we become shining with Christ in us.
And that's a lifetime's journey. And it's not easy. But we do that by coming together, by sharing with one another, by growing together, by acknowledging the times when it's hard, by encouraging one another, by praying for one another. We do it to learn to grow, to be shaped, so that we become more and more like Christ in our lives. And as we do that, we then live as grace-filled Christians wherever we are. And that has an impact. There's been a recent survey done by um, the Church of England and the Evangelical Alliance to look at ways in which people hear about Jesus. And the vast majority who were interviewed and fed into this survey, who have come to faith outside of growing up in a family, that was the biggest category. Most people come to faith by growing up in a Christian family. So pray for Christian families. But if that's not the case, the vast majority who have found faith have found faith because they've known somebody who is a Christian. Just by knowing somebody, seeing their lives, watching them, seeing how they respond at times of difficulty, watching them in the workplace. If that is true, if the vast majority of people come to faith outside of growing up in a family by knowing somebody, wherever we are, we have that potential of having an impact on somebody else. And we've got to remember that wherever we go. So we come to church together to worship and to strengthen our faith. To challenge ourselves as to the lives that we are living. Living lives of integrity. So that when the light is shone on our lives, we don't mind what the rest of the world see. Because we're not perfect, we don't claim to be, but we're not keeping secrets, so we're not living double lives. And that's hugely important. That actually what we worship with our mouths on a Sunday, we live out in our lives through the rest of the week. That we are people of integrity who take the hope and the truth of Christ into the way that we live our lives and the choices we make, in the language we use, the way we speak about other people. It is so filled with Christ's love and hope and grace that we can be seen to be lights. And that's a huge challenge. I often think about the MPs and all the expenses scandal. You can think about a whole lot of things. When you're in the public domain and the light is shone, is there things that you would be embarrassed about being seen? And we should be thinking about that as Christians because if the light is shone in us, if we are the witness wherever we are, we might be the only Christian and the light is shone, is there anything in our lives that we wouldn't want to be seen by those around us? Because if there is, we need to work on that and be honest about it. We are not perfect. I'm not saying that we live perfect lives. But there's an integrity that we need to live by. If I say I worship Christ, my life needs to reflect that. And I need to be growing. I need to be developing my relationship with Christ, both in head knowledge and in heart knowledge. And then I go out into the world, strengthened by the faith that is nurtured in this place. But we come here in order to go out. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with two of you here about the the part at the end of the service where we say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Amen. And how that made them feel. And actually, as Bishop Andrew said at the weekend ago, that is the most important part of our service. It's not the singing, wonderful as it is. It's not the prayers. It's not the sermon. 
It's the point in the service where we say, we're leaving now. What we have here, we take out into the world. So the most important part of our Sunday worship is when those doors are flung open and we take what we have here out into the world. We then have a chance of influencing societies of hope. A little bit later in the service, we're going to hear some stories of ways in which we might do that more and more. And I'm really grateful to both Ben and to Mark who are going to share in different ways of how we might continue to grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done in Christ for us. In this Easter season, we rejoice in all the ways that Christ has opened the way for us, in his death and in his resurrection. And Christ is enough for each one of us. But we long to live lives filled with Christ. Grace-filled Christians, you call us to be that and help us to become that more and more so that the truth of your gospel, the good news, the precious gift that we have may grow throughout the world and more and more will come home. Come home to your loving arms. Use us, we pray. Amen. We grow in two ways. We grow as individuals and then that growth happens as a result of us living in the world. And we're going to hear from two different people um, about ways in which that growth can be encouraged here in this place and then out into the world. So Kia is going to come and interview Beth about home groups and then Mark's going to come and talk about living out in the workplace. Well, as Debbie's been saying, um, it's just crucial that we grow as disciples and as Christians. And there's no better place, in, in my humble opinion, to do that than in a home group. Um, just a bit about home groups, if you're not aware of what they are. Um, home groups are places where you are nurtured and discipled. You are, uh, we study the Bible. Um, we pray for each other. Um, it's a huge place of fellowship and support. Um, and it's been crucial in, in my development as a, as a Christian personally and lots of people that I know, um, one of which is Beth. Um, <laughs> so I was going to ask Beth a few questions as to how she's found home group. Um, so how has being in a home group um, helped you in your walk with God? Morning, everyone. Um, so... Me and my husband and I feel very blessed to have found a home group, which is a very um, safe space where we have surrounded by loving people and Christians from this church, obviously. And um, we meet once a week and we discuss um, 
generally we follow the sermons which are happening on Sundays. So we get a time to hear the sermon on Sunday here and we get to reflect on it. And then we meet in the week and we discuss this. Um, We go deeper, we go into the Bible a bit more detail um, and we get a time to discuss it together as a group. um, Which obviously on Sundays we do a little bit um, afterwards but it's a bit more time and and it's a safe space where we can explore further and Ben and I were talking about this last night because obviously I knew that I was going to be doing this and we were saying that we feel as though we've learnt a lot um, we've you know learnt a lot more about our Bible um, which only helps and we have also our prayer life has hugely um, changed since being in a home group and tell me if I need to stop okay be here for hours <laughs> you'll be like oh no I'm never joining a home group with that one no anyway um so we have um we our prayer life has has changed hugely we have a, a great network of people that we talk to and, and it's it's lovely because we'll email each other in the week and we'll say can we pray for this we're we're worrying about this or can we pray for our friend and it's a lovely way to communicate and just to know that we have a support network around us um, and it is, it's such a lovely time in the week to just be with God. And it is, and it is a reflective, quiet time as well. And we, t- we cover so many subjects. I mean, we talk about everything. And it's, it's just such a lovely, lovely place to be. So it definitely hugely helped. And just on that, we talk about everything. It, it's um, one of the most special things about home groups as well is... Um, and you were saying it's a safe place. It's all confidential. So it, all, it, it feels very safe, and it is very safe. So you can be honest. You can be vulnerable. You can get to share those sort of deep feelings and deep thoughts and have deep discussions um, in, in, in a really safe environment. And actually, you can learn an awful lot from other people. Um, I've learned huge amounts from, from the various home groups that, that I've been in. And I think it's a, it's a real bonus to have a mixture of, of Christians on, on different journeys. So you've got Christians that have just, just found Jesus, um, you've got Christians that have been Christians for, for 30, 40, 50 years sometimes, and that's hugely beneficial to, to learn from each other in that environment too. So if you were to be talking to somebody about home group, how would you, um, what would you say to someone who was thinking about joining a home group? Um, I would say try it, definitely. And you'd be, I think, because we went kind of not expecting necessarily to go every week, and we thought it might be something which it'd be a good way to meet people and it is it's a brilliant way to kind of join a social group but also we actually surprised ourselves we tend to go most weeks we try to anyway and um and it it did surprise us i have to say that we enjoy it as much as we do um and it i would say that go and and find someone and talk to them about it and and it it's definitely worthwhile doing, and we feel as though we have grown hugely from it. Um, I don't know whether we're spreading the love, as Debbie was saying about this morning, but we're trying to explore our own faith, and it's definitely something which is a, a brilliant tool to do that. So I would try it, definitely. So at the moment, we have about 12 home groups within the church, and um, Colin and I sort of look after them. So if you are in any way interested and want to find out more and you're not in a home group, then please come and talk to, to me or Colin or Debbie or Bethel or anybody else, really, because most people, I think, looking around probably are in a home group. But if you're not and um, would like to know more, then, then just ask. Thank you. Thanks, Keir. Um, so Debbie asked me to talk about how my faith impacts my work. Um, I've done an hour version of this. <laughs> I've done a 15-minute, and I've got five minutes. So... Uh, <laughs> um, so 
for the first, I've been working for 27 years, so I know not as long as some of you in here, but longer than some. So um, I'm a partner at EY, which was Ernst & Young in London, um, leading about 1,500 people, so quite a busy, demanding work. Um, and I would say, honestly, for my first 20 years, my faith and my work were completely disconnected. And if you asked me, why are you doing what you do, I couldn't have really said why. Um, in fact, when I was at college, my uh, college tutor at the end of sort of the end of your third year would give you a, a talk about your career and what you should go into. And the thing is, I was at one of those Cambridge colleges where our college tutor was in fact a recruitment officer for MI6. Um, but you couldn't say. It was one of those secrets that no one really spoke about. And people would come out of the talk with him and some would say, yes, he suggested I was a teacher. Some would say he suggested I was a, went into business. And others would go, oh, it's just a conversation. And you know that those are the ones who would disappear overseas and you'd never see them again. Um, so anyway, I was hoping he'd recruit me for MI6. But in fact, um, he said to me, I think you should join the church. Now, here, 27 years later, I still haven't taken that advice. Um, I'm probably not going to, um, unless something dramatic happens. But anyway, um, so for 20 years, I really disconnection between my work. I just was doing it because it was a job. I wanted to get on, pay the way, bought a house, got married, had children, all those kind of things that we all do. Um, then I felt challenged for a whole variety of reasons to really think hard about bringing my faith much more into central to my life. So I assumed that that meant I was going to have to leave the business world and go and do something else. So I went and interviewed, met a whole bunch of people, looked into it, read a whole lot of books, met the head of World Vision, the head of Tear Fund, applied for a bunch of jobs, and strangely enough, a whole load of NGOs decided that someone who had been working for 20 years in business probably didn't have the relevant skills that they were looking for, which is a little shock for me, because I thought, surely they're going to want someone like me. But then I met a guy called Paul Skeeler, who, who runs an organization called The Call to Business, and I asked him to pray for me. I was thinking about what I would be doing, and could he give me some advice? And he said, well, my advice to you is stay exactly where you are, which wasn't really what I was wanting to hear, so I was a bit surprised by it. But he was saying, look at the trade routes. We were talking about the, the whole world that Debbie was referring to in her sermon, how sort of faith was spreading through two-thirds or three-quarters of the Roman Empire, even within 20, 30 years of Jesus' death. And the reason for that is because the camel trails, so the apostles, the disciples, the evangelists, would follow the camel trails. But where the business was going, they would go, because that's where it was safe to travel. And he said, look at the way that business is a tool that God uses to spread the word and to spread his kingdom. So I looked into it, and when you start looking into it, you realize that the, the Bible is full of people who work. There are cupbearers, there are shepherds, there are farmers, there are cloth merchants, there are teachers. Now, some people are called out to be prophets and apostles and evangelists, but even Paul was a tent maker and paid his way as he was working across Europe. So realizing that work is a good and godly thing was really important realization for me. But also thinking through, what does it mean? How do you live that out? And that, for me, has come out in two ways. So one is in my work. I feel now very called as a Christian to be a kingdom person, a man of God, in my work. So how I deal with people, how I lead, how I care for the people who work around me, the values and ethics that I bring to work. And that's really important because that's salt and light in what can be a tough world. But also, how do I use my business skills outside my day job? So I've got very involved in, in helping some businesses get started, largely those with an ethical vision and largely those run by Christians. So I'm involved with a, a hydro dam business that is looking at how do you provide sustainable energy across Africa. 
I'm involved in a sustainable sourcing uh, fabric business that um, does high-end design around ethically sourced clothing. I'm with a cow business, a dairy business in Burundi, which you may have heard Charlotte talk about before. It's a whole series of things. We're bringing business skills as a Christian is around how do we change the world through ethical business. So I feel very called on a day job, but also having a higher purpose, I suppose, as a businessman and a businessman of God. Which is challenging on a day-to-day basis because, as Debbie said, none of us are perfect. I'm very far from perfect. So, so kind of feel, though, that very strong sense of calling to it. And I guess my challenge that I give when I speak, I've spoken a few times now with Christian Vision for Men, um, to men who work, and really that kind of calling. And the thing I say to you, whether to them, is whether you're a soldier, whether you're a, a businessman, whether you're a teacher, whatever job that you do, if you, if you are in work, be encouraged that God's called you into it. It may not be that that's your very job, but whatever you do, God's called you to be a Christian in that, in that work and think of it as a higher calling.